All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Two Planker Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Schaefer. And today on the show, we got Meeks and a bunch of other people. And uh, how you doing? Uh, man, doing good, man. Just living up in Park City, trying to, uh, man, trying to have a good time. Heart's beating a little faster now that I'm on a podcast. <laughs> nah, it's mellow. It's mellow, man. We've been trying to set this one up. We've been trying to set this one up for a while now, and we're getting it done. First, yes. first, we got a special guest with you. Who's your guest that you have with you on the couch? Well, I got Wealthy with me. Um, he's like probably in easily in my top five favorite skiers alongside. I'm going to just shout out a lot of people on the podcast, and uh, he's in my top five skiers alongside. B-Dog, John Ware, Max Hill, Hornbeck, Wealth, Easily. Uh, he was the opener of the Zoot Space. Um, I mean, you might have seen him jump through some cement poles or go through um, a little, uh, like a little, what was that, a little a little fence yeah yeah so this is wealthy he's been known to jump through some shit so he's one of the best skiers to ever do it and we're just kicking back and we're sipping some sipping some beers sipping some wines having a good time word wealthy you want to say anything while you have the floor you got to speak anything you've been dying to say um honestly not really (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah, I don't know. Hearing me say that shit's kind of crazy. He's been one of my favorite skiers for a while and was one of like the big dogs I met when I moved out to Salt Lake. Helped me out a lot. Helped me on street trips. Helped me get on street trips. So all that's great. And I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, Meeks, a lot of guys look up to you and wealthy. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you're a lot younger than Meeks. So how did you guys even meet in the first place? Um, I think it was at Hood, right? Yeah, so Sanch, I don't know if you know Sanch, but Sanch, uh, he's an elusive character. I'm not really going to speak on him. Um, But he looks exactly like my best friend, Wabby. And and so, like, we used to call Sanch Brother Wyman, but, like, we never really talked to Sanch. And then, uh, like, essentially, we saw Sanch and Welf skiing at Hood, and they were just skiing so good, and we started, like, chopping it up with them and becoming homies with them. And then I lived at this house that, well, uh, or how, what, what was the situation? At the, the house, house of Warren? Yeah. Yeah. The first year that I lived in Salt Lake, uh, I was staying with Sanch and then two other heads. And then we rented the basement room out to Meeks, which was, yeah. So they rented me the, the basement room. Like they rented me the basement and popped air mattress cursed. on the floor. It was cursed. It was a horrible situation. The floor. I was actually, it's kind of a crazy situation, but the summer before that, I was like working at Hood and I met my homie Dirty Mike, who's also in the room right now. And um, Dirty Mike introduced me to this homie Connor and I lived, ended up moving in with Dirty Mike in Salt Lake. And um, and it was such a bad living situation. I needed somewhere to live and I hit up Sanch and um, I ended up that, Okay, yeah, that, that place sucked. Um, but I ended up moving. I ended up moving in with uh, Wealth and Sanch and lived there for the winter. And it was a really nice situation, in the sense of like those are like 
they became like two of my best friends, but at the same time, it was, uh, I don't think I did myself any favors because I was living in the basement. There's a pile of trash in the kitchen. There's a pile of trash in the kitchen. The you got. It was a really <laughs> gross place to live, but I did make two really good friends and um, that was probably in like 2017. So yeah, I'm a little older than them, but those are also my bro bros. <laughs> That's tight. So what's the living situation right now? You still living in the basement? A basement? Any basement? No. I, I've upgraded myself. Like, yeah, I'm I'm trying to live like in a good situation. So I'm living in Park City now. Um with my homie Dre. He actually is an OG pipe skier. He's 40, but he was in the US Open of uh terrain park skiing. And um he Actually, still, like you might see him on the gram, Michael Draymond. Um, he has a alley oop rodeo five in the pipe still, and he's probably like one of the only 40 year olds that has that trick. So I live with him and his girlfriend. Super nice spot. Amazing. Dude, moving up in the world. Love to hear that. So can we go back a little bit where you're originally from? Because I think I'm traveling through the Midwest right now. From my research, it seems like you're a Midwest guy that moved west. Does that uh, sound about right? What kind of research are you doing, bro? I'm doing a little deep dive, typing in your name on uh, on Google and reading some articles. Okay. <laughs> articles, well, bro, he's probably dropping in on my golf career, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up. I grew up outside of Chicago. Um, Damn, my grandma beautiful. actually like there's some crazy uh, lineage of like my grandma. Um, she. Park City in the late in the late 1980s and um and she was an amazing skier and she was actually on the U.S. ski team and was pregnant with my mom um because she was actually about to be in the Olympics in the 1964 Olympics with Penny Patu who got silver medal in the uh, 1964 Olympics and uh she had this condo in Park City so I traveled out here to PC all the time when I was a little kid, skied out here. And then um, I just like really fell in love with skiing. And I was living in the Midwest, like probably the worst. Chicago's like probably the worst place to ski when you're a kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, um, but I would always come out and ski with my grandma here or in Vermont where like she actually lived. And um and then, yeah, when I was 17, I moved out here like, yeah. full time. So before we leave Chicago, because we won't talk about your childhood too much, you got what was it like for you? Were you a troublemaker growing up? Were you a good kid? Like what was what was Meeks like as a as a youngin? Um, no, I was a super good kid. I never got into any um play. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a little wild child, honestly. Um, I. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I was, I wanted to go to college to play golf. Um, that was kind of like my whole, whole wave when I was a kid. And, um, and then when I was like 17, I went to hood for the first time, which is a story we can talk about when I like, as the podcast goes on, but I essentially got kicked off the golf team for my, my grades were like a little bit on the poor side. And I like went 
went to, I kind of struggled between like, I love skiing and I loved golf. And when I was like in between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I really wanted to ski, but I also really wanted to golf. And then I went to hood for the summer and then I went to hood for the summer and fell in love with skiing even more. And then, um, pretty much essentially decided that that was like the move was to like go ski. But I, man, when I was a kid, I think I probably gave my parents some issues, but for the most part, I was like relatively chill. Nice. So a couple of bands under it. Yeah, whatever. That's, you know, par for like I, I think I was like pretty, I was like a pretty good kid. Yeah. So what was that? I mean, yeah. Tell us about that first trip to hood. Cause, uh, that seems like that changed that changed stuff for you. Yeah, so you want the real deal Holyfield or you want the like the the long story or the short story? Listen, man, whatever is important to you, that's what we want. Whatever's whatever affected you the most, that's what we got here. All right. So I was like I think I was 16 and I was dating this girl and I really liked her. And, um, she ended up actually dumping me and then that was in like March and I was, I was caddying, like I, like I was saying, I was like really into golf and stuff. And I was caddying at this country club in Chicago and, um, I just started caddying a ton and trying to save up some bread. And then like June 1st rolled around and I was like, I got like five racks saved up. You know, which at the time when you're in high school, it seems like a crazy amount of money. And then I started going on new schoolers in class in high school and like seeing that um, I could essentially go to hood and ski all summer. I'd went to Wendell's before that, like a couple summers before, which I actually paid for myself off of the caddying game when I was 14. Um, but I went to Wendell's and actually learned my first 270 on from Tom Wallace and Hornbeck. That was pretty G <laughs> the day the uh, filmed the, um, the segment where Wallace does that zero spin where he doesn't move. And then I snapped my collarbone there and Whatever. Long story short, I, I I was caddying in Chicago, saved some bread, went on New Schoolers. I met this homie on New Schoolers named Ninth Ward Skier, and he told me that he had a place for me to live. And so I flew. I had all this money saved up, and I was really, at that point in my life, I was, like, kind of beefing with my parents, like, just normal teenage shit. And I was just like, well, I have my own money. So I flew to Oregon. And Ninth Ward Skier didn't pick me up from the airport. Um, so I hitchhiked up to Hood and I went to the summits, which if anybody who's ever been to Hood knows that the summits is like one of the best places to be and one of the worst places to be. And I gave a homie 300 bucks to let me sleep on the floor for the month of June. Uh, I was sitting out in the rain, actually kind of like a low-key snowboard legend, this guy named Jeff DeForge, and I gave him 300 bucks. He let me sleep on the floor, and then um, I, like, skied up at Hood all summer. So the next day, I actually met the Ninth Ward skier on Hood, on Hill, and uh, his name was Scrappy Joe Young. And so Scrappy Joe Young... I met him on the lift 
and he was trying to sell me some kush and I wasn't down with that obviously because I was just like man who's this guy and then um I just became really good friends with like Scrappy and Briggs and Freed and um spent the whole summer at Hood that year and then went back like or that summer I spent at Hood and skied I think I skied 75 75 days in a row and just had a really sick time I ended up getting a job in the dish pit there because of Scrappy and uh fuck man yeah I don't really know I like went back to Chicago that next fall and like kicked it with a bunch of kids from the Midwest and realized I wasn't going to go to college and I was going to go ski a ton <laughs> what I'm saying that's yeah. like kind of a long drawn out way of like bringing that up but it was yeah I was a little child up at Hood it was awesome no, that's perfect. So when did you make the jump and move out to Salt Lake? Uh, right when I graduated high school. So when I was 18, like I went back to Chicago that year. So I guess maybe it was between my junior and senior year of, of uh, high school. And the next year I rolled out to uh, Salt Lake or like after I graduated high school, I actually didn't even walk in my high school graduation. I just went straight to Hood. And then ski to hood that summer actually ended up getting into wine because of that. And then um, went to Salt Lake the following winter and just tried to like pursue skiing, I guess, or whatever you call it. Yeah. So when you moved out, you didn't go, you weren't going to school out there. You were just moving out to ski. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep this moving along because I mean, we could go down so many rabbit holes, but like, is this around the time when Hood Crew starting to get together? I mean, you mentioned a bunch of names that, that a lot of people recognize. Like, when did that come about? Well, I think it was kind of going off uh, that summer because you guys might remember, or like anybody who's been in the game watching ski videos for a long time might remember a video called Too Hot for Summer Camp. Um, actually, the summer before that, or like summer where I first lived at Hood, we didn't really film a, a full video. We just like kind of skied and had fun, whatever, and lived in the woods and whatnot. And like I lived at the summits, lived in the tent, whatever, the whole nine yards. And then uh, the following summer, the summer I graduated from high school, I went to Hood and of course linked with Scraps and um, Briggles. And we filmed this video called Too Hot for Summer Camp. And I think that was like Hood Crew was already going at that point because they'd filmed a full length video at that point called Every Day is a 420 based off every a Saturday, which I highly recommend that if you haven't seen it, everybody go watch it because there's amazing footage in there. And then um, that summer, yeah, we filmed uh, Too Hot for Summer Camp and then kind of like kept it rolling from there. Yeah. And so what was like for for what you were doing, obviously you're filming with the guys and stuff. Were you trying to pick up sponsors? Like where were you at kind of mentally for skiing? Or were you just trying to ski as much as possible? I think I was really just trying to ski as much as possible. Like I have to give a big shout out to Mike Schneider at Surface Skis because he like really was the first person to put me on as a ski sponsor and he paid me a little bit of money, but for the most part, um, I was just trying to ski 
and like and work too you know i was working nights in the kitchen at timberline i've always worked <laughs> when i'm skiing and like yeah mike mike plugged me up and um yeah i worked uh that summer at timberline and i wasn't really thinking necessarily about sponsors in terms of like getting paid to ski like as doing as a as, as a profession but i was thinking also more about like i just really wanted to ski 200 plus days a year and like really be out there and getting it like you know just trying to like push myself i guess and like i love skiing so much and i was so obsessed with it and i, I still am so can take it into the bedroom if it's too loud in here. All right. So now we're in a new location. Um, I forget where we left off. Oh, so we were talking about work. So you had a good setup where in the summers you were able to ski and work. Because a lot of times people just, you know, they go work yeah. construction and that's it. And then in the winter they ski. So you were able to ski and work during the summer. What, like, what else were yeah. you doing throughout the year to make a little bit of money? So in the summers I was working at Hood. Um, I... At first, I was working in the kitchen up at Timberline Lodge for a couple of years. And then um, shout out to Logan Stewart. He put me on in the cat. And I ended up driving cats at Hood for, I think, like four or five years. And I brought Effie out there and Wabs and the kid. And we drove cats for a while um, at night. And so, like, that would allow us to ski during the day. And then in the winter, at least like before I was like in a good financial position to ski throughout the winter, I would, um, you know, I worked at hotels in Park City in, from like 2011 to like 2015 or 2016 and valeted cars and drove people like to and from the town of Park City. And yeah, just... Then when I blew my knees, like this, this is older, I started bartending in Park City. This is like in the last couple of years. And so, yeah, like work, worked uh, at Hood. and um, But really, for the most part, in the uh, summer and fall, I, I made most of my money off of the wine game. So like working harvest some wine, I was able to like usually save some good cash making wine. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's pretty integral to where you're at now. So if you could just explain a little bit for the people, because a lot of people don't know anything about wine, including myself. Like, where do you go to work the harvest? You know, like it sounds like you're working in the in the wine fields, even though, you know, it's probably not as rough as no, some. It's not like yeah. So, yeah. So how does how does that whole thing work for you? So I'll, I guess I'll just take it off the top. Yeah. Like when I was first getting into wine or like when I was first working at hood, I was working in the kitchen at Timberline when I was like 17, 18, and I was washing dish dishes up there with scrappy prep cooking. And I, I didn't have a car at that point. I was like a kid, you know, mm. little fresh out of high school or in high school, fresh out of high school. And then, um, so I, I would hitchhike to the hill every day and I met this guy hitchhiking who was a winemaker in the Willamette Valley and the Willamette Valley. And for those of you who don't know, is in Oregon, it's outside of Portland and really where they're making like the most premier Pinot Noirs in the United States. 
And so I hitchhiked up to the hill with him and I was just talking about like, yeah, I don't have a car. I wish I had a car. And he was like, you know, you should work a wine harvest. You're going to make, you would make some serious cash. And this is my first summer at the high school. And I had this big plan of like working at Timberline um, for the whole summer. And I didn't have any plan for October, November, September. And I, so essentially I was like, oh, that sounds super dope. I could like go, because essentially he was telling me that you could go work like 80 hours a week and save like five or 10 grand, which when you're 18 years old, five or 10 grand sounds like all the money in the universe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I went up to work that day and like kind of I, I call a lot of things in my life like shout out to webs for this but I call a lot of things in my life like cosmic showbiz I found out essentially that the head chef at Timberline his wife's family owns one of the most popping wineries in Oregon called Stoller Family Vineyards and I asked him or like he, the, the head chef he really liked me I was you know grinding in the dish pit grinding in the um as a prep cook and I asked him if he would get me an interview with Stoller and he was like for sure and so I ended up because of that guy I ended up interviewing at Stoller Family Vineyards for a harvest and they didn't give me the job but he also got me uh, an interview at like two or three other wineries in the Willamette Valley and one of the places took a chance on me, um, Penarash, which any wine drinkers out there that are listening to this, they know that Penarash, I mean, it's got bought out now, but like Lynn Penarash, she's a pioneer in, in terms of like the sense that she was one of the first female winemakers to like really get things popping off and for her, like for, for the ladies. And she is incredibly smart genius probably and i went and worked for her and um yeah i sucked and like this is like this is in 2010 i think or 2011 and yes i I didn't know anything about making wine i didn't know anything about wine but like when i was a kid i grew up and i would you know my parents like I, i come from a big food family and my parents would sometimes open wines and let me like try a little sip and stuff. And I knew I liked it, but I didn't really know like anything about it. And so I worked for Lynn Pinnerash in 2010 and I was like, I'm never doing that again. Actually a crazy story about that is that um, you do these things in wine called pump overs, which is like where you're pumping wine through essentially a fire hose uh, like over the top of a tank as it's fermenting to like extract all the nice textures and flavors and tannins from the wine. And Lynn Penner-Ash is like one of the most accomplished winemakers in the world. And she never let me do a pump over. And then I finally convinced them to let me do pump overs because I thought it looked super cool. And she was like standing down on the ground, like 20 feet below me. And I was on top of this tank and she's like, Foster like yelling at me like I was doing it wrong and I looked up and as I looked up I just lifted the fire hose with me and I blasted her with like all this wine (laughs) and so I really sucked at it man and like I thought that I never wanted to do it again and then the next year which I think was 2012 I um 
I was really, I was broke again and at the end of the summer. And I was, I said I was never going to do it again. I bought a car when I was like off of the wine shit when I was like 18. And um, I said I was never going to make wine again. And then next year I was super broke. And I applied for all these jobs on winejobs.com. So if anybody out there wants to get into the wine game, that's for how you're going to get into it. And I applied for all these jobs in, in Napa and I got interviewed. I got brought down to this place called Odette Estate. And I worked for two people who were incredibly instrumental in my life. Like this guy, Adrian Halpin, who's to this day, one of my very best friends in the world. I fucking love him. He's the best dude ever. And he was my seller master at that time. So he was like essentially my boss and, me and him, we didn't really vibe at first. And then after a couple of weeks, we both realized that he was from like Southern California and I like grew up skiing and whatnot. And so like I liked E40 and he liked E40. And so we just like became friends over the fact that we both liked E40. So shout out to Forvanon and the Hyphy edits. <laughs> and, uh, and we became homies at that point, and he really, like, just taught me a lot about, like, how to make wine, and still to this day, he does. He's incredibly smart, and um, and so I worked for them at Odetta State in 2012, and we made a 100-point wine, and uh, from there, I just, like, kind of kept going back every year, and I just thought money was cool, but essentially more than that, I just thought the whole process was cool. Like making wine is beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like, that's like the, that's like the start of the story, I guess, of like making wine. Yeah. And yeah. Well, there's, it's, it's interesting because in life there's like different seasons of your life and there's multiple things happening at once. So it's kind of hard for us to nail down, you know, cause at the same time you're skiing and doing the wine and going to hood and filming. Yeah. So we'll try to keep it all under control. But so in the off season, when you're not doing wine, are you thinking about wine at all? Or like, in the, is that just like, hey, that's just where I make my money. And now I'm like, like right now. Or no, no, no. Now? Back at the beginning. Definitely not. Yeah. I just it still like, even though I was having a good time in California when I was like 21, 22, um, I wouldn't really say I was thinking a lot about wine in the off season, like during ski season. I was at that point mostly just thinking about making turns and having fun on the skis and man, Frito always brings it up. I never really thought it was like a, a bad thing, but Frito always brings it up of like when I first started making wine, I was going down there. I was, I was more essentially like really lonely. I didn't really have a lot of friends down there. And um, Napa is a town where, you know, unless you're like in your thirties, it's, kind of hard to break into the scene in terms of like making a lot of friends. So I was, I had crazy living situations at that point. Just like I was trying to like hunker down and just save all the money that I could. So I didn't like really ever like, like step out and make really many friends in, in Napa. So when I was back skiing in the winter and the spring and the summer at that point, I was like mostly just thinking about like skiing. Yeah. So we'll, we'll focus on skiing for a second. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the hood crew 
one of the best crews of all time, bro. It's just, it? it's just people love it because it was, it was like the first of the rider filmer. Like it wasn't super professionally done. Obviously it was just fun and people loved it. Cause it felt like fan friends handing off the camera doing crazy oh. shit. And I think that's like the style now of people handing off the camera, you know? Yeah, I guess, man. Damn. Like, because to me, I would never discount the hood crew. And like, I love, obviously like the hood crew is like a huge part of my skiing journey and like how I met all of my friends and stuff. But like, when I think back on those videos, I just think that we were like, like our skiing was so good and we were killing it so hard and like just going off, going huge. But like, we weren't really doing it justice with the filming and the editing. Mm-hmm. But then all Freed is like the illest homie ever too. You know, I love him. He's my brother. Yeah. So you, so you wish that you guys like put a little bit more thought into like the, how you filmed everything and how you edited everything. Well, I think in hindsight I do, but at the time it didn't seem like that in the time, at the time I thought that it was like, I thought it seemed like kind of, just like the wave that we were on and I think we were being really true to ourselves and we were just skiing at Salt Lake and having a lot of fun. But I think it needed to like kind of change at some point, which it did. Yeah. So what what did that change look like? And like, was it intentional or did you just, you just kind of grow into it? Bit of both, I guess. Like for me, I guess like first things first, like what the change looked like, it was like, and making better ski videos you know like like stuff that's more timeless like i guess in in a sense you can think of the hood crew stuff as as timeless and please don't take this as me hating on the hood crew like i love what we did with the hood crew and like scrappy's my favorite skier ever and or one of them and and briggs is like an incredible skier and Obviously, Forty's ski career like speaks for itself. He's one of the best of all time, if not the best. And I think that like we made some really good videos, but I don't really necessarily think that like the way that we portrayed our skiing at the time was the best way of like portraying like how like how good the skiing was because the skiing was really fire and we were kind of like on our own wave at that point. You know what I'm saying? And just like making, making like essentially home videos of like skiing. But those videos are awesome. But like what, I guess what the change looked like was starting to ride for own through P and putting out better videos, like like more, like just more like timeless videos. Like, not necessarily skiing was better, but like that the um, that the like production and the way that the skiing was filmed was better. I think we had the filming figured out, and I think in a sense we had the editing figured out. I think it was just like a really raw way of looking at skiing that like most people who have lived in like the ski lifestyle like have made ski or like know that this is actually how it is but i think we were the only people that were actually portraying like the entire lifestyle and the skiing the way that it was and 
I'm I, I look back on those movies and I'm like really thrilled about them. They're amazing, you know. Yeah. But I have a hard time, I guess, watching the videos from like 2015, 2016, 2014, mm-hmm. because it's like at that point, I think that like we were we were popping enough on our skis that we should have been filming better movies. But when I watch the like older videos from like 2012, 2011, 2013, I think that those videos kind of are like representative of like where we were at in terms of like how we were living personal and like they're just like fully representative. And so I guess I like the older movies more, but I have to give a huge shout out to Freed because he was really dedicated to like making these movies like as good as they could be. And, He's he's awesome. I love that guy. He's just an incredible dude. Yeah, we'll keep it moving along because, uh, I mean, you talked about the transition for taking the skiing a little bit like more serious. More serious, yeah, exactly. So when did Owen Three P come into the fold? Because I feel like that's some of your best videos that I've ever seen, and some of my favorite. My favorite's the the hood one, but uh, like, when did you get linked up with Owen Three P? I got linked up with the one through P oh, shit. I don't know. Probably around 2017. Mm-hmm. Sometime around then. And I've been, I've been like good friends with uh, BMAC from the bunch. I don't know if you know BMAC from the bunch. One of the best ever. Um, he lived with me and Heffy and um, the kid. Or uh, I think it was me, Heffy. I don't know. There's a couple of heads in that house. Alec Nelson. Also another hood crew legend. BMAC lived with us um, one summer at Hood when he, in like 2013. And all the bunch homies had been coming over to Hood. And, you know, we just were like, you know, at that point, like Magnus and and those guys, like they were the Swedish guys. We were like kind of like the young head Americans. They were the young head Swedish homies. And then Magnus started riding for ON3P. And actually in like 20. 12, I think Scott at ON3P had messaged me on new schoolers and was like, yo, we should, um, I'd love to get you on the skis, blah, blah, blah. At that point I was just like riding for surface and ON3P was like first kind of starting up and I was not really down with them. And then the, I saw kind of what they were doing for Magnus and B max career, like six or seven years later and Scrappy's career at that point, they were like paying people and they were just like making getting people on like getting making videos and like this is the the company to be on in my book and um i was writing for surface and i asked surface for a pro model and the guy mike schneider the guy who started surface he actually was selling the company and so he was like yeah i can't really like give you a pro model because i'm selling the company and then um at the same time magnus was kind of hitting me up like yo you should send in send in a video to on 3 p like i think they'd put you on and then i sent a video to on 3 p of like the shit that i'd gotten that year and uh scott was down to put me on and um i think he was yeah he was down to pay me a little bit and just like seemed super supportive and um so yeah, I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna go ride for own 3P. I mean, this is the company. This is this is the brand. 
to be on. So that was like six or seven years ago. I think at this point, I'm actually now the longest tenured rider on the Hunter PA. And it's big shout out to Magnus, man. You know, he, he put me on because I think at that point, like the other comp, like there was nobody else to ride for. And at this, at this point, I'll, I'll never ride for another company besides O3P and for the rest of my ski career. It's O3P and then I'm going to retire. That's, that's super tight. We got a lot of questions about the, uh, about the pro ski. Cause that's a huge deal. And so, okay. well, I'll pick out the two best ones. I like how they phrased them or did they just kind of summarize it the best. So Nick, he asked, how did you get the opportunity to have your own pro ski and how'd you pick the graphic? That's the first question. What's the second question? The second one is uh, Ryan asked, he said the pro model is Mo- Modelo, but you're a wine man. Is there going to be a wine ski soon? <laughs> Those are both fire questions. All right. So uh, how did I get the opportunity was at some point, probably like four years ago, if I had to guess, um, ON3P was able to start like getting a little bit more flexible on the graphics. Like they bought this new graphic machine and they wanted to print a bunch bunch of top, top sheets on the skis i think this was five years ago maybe this was like right after on 3 p3 dropped right like which probably five years ago at this point and um they scott the owner of on 3 p hit me up and he's like yo i want to make a ski with your name on it blah blah, blah. and i was like dude that's my biggest fucking dream like, since i was a kid that's, you know having a pro model ski to me is that's the the creme de la creme it's what you what you do you know i mean if you've made it in the ski game you have a ski with your name on it and so of course that was like the the biggest thing i wanted to do and um so in terms of like how did the graphic come up this is like five or six years ago and i was just crushing a lot of cans at the time and loved modelos and um you know there's a little bit of a story about Modelo's. It's actually the first first beer I ever drank with my dad when I on my 18th birthday. We were on a boat, and I turned 18, and my dad gave me a Modelo, and I loved that gold foil on the Modelo. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and because my dad had blessed me with that Modelo, it was always my favorite beer, you know. And um, and so always was trying to drink those and um i thought it would look cool on a ski and scott agreed and then he designed the graphic and he threw the dinosaurs on there for the canosaurus rex which is actually like a video that i don't think many people know about but yeah it's kind of like some old hood shit and um i love dinosaurs too so he threw the dinos on there he threw mount hood on there there's a lot of subtleties to the graphic. Um, yeah, it's been such a blessing to have that ski, man. I trip when I see people skiing on that ski. It's like the craziest thing to me. Like, man, somebody's fucking skiing the ski. But could you think of anything cooler than that? Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Nothing is cooler than that, than somebody skiing on your ski. It has your name on it. Yeah, it's, it, it's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> ever it's like it's like nothing in life could be cooler than that besides actually somebody sipping your wine um but so 
that was how the graphic came about. And then um, in terms of the ski, we, we designed it like in like 2019, like probably two years before it came out. And then we were about to release the ski and I was in Europe and then I blew my knee uh, in Europe. I actually at the time didn't know that I blew my knee. Just thought that I like tweaked it pretty bad. And then I came back to the States and we were like about to release it. And then um, this is kind of where the story gets a little sad for a second. And I ended up tearing my ACL like right before that ski came out. And I was at that point to me skiing or like skiing to me is still everything. But at that point, like skiing, I didn't have any other outlets really. Like I made wine in the summer, but I just, Man, I was devastated, dude. And I spent about nine months rehabbing the, the knee and came back, filmed Summer of the Cap, which I think is probably my favorite segment that I've ever filmed. And um, and at that point, they were like, yeah, we're going to give you the ski. You know, like we have it all designed and they're, we're going to print the ski. And so I skied the whole summer of summer of the or the whole spring, the whole summer of summer of the cap, like fresh off of this, these ACL injuries and or this first ACL injury. And then I went down to the O3P factory and they gave me the ski. And I was like, this is the sickest, sickest thing that's ever happened to me. It's the best day of my life. You know, I really felt like that. I was like, this is the best day of my life. Next, they were like, yeah, just go film a couple clips on it. And I wa obviously wanted to film like, a couple clips on it. I wanted to snap. So I go to Hood the next day. This is like mid-July. And I was supposed to move back to Napa the next day. And I go up to Palmer. This is like probably about 13 months after I did my first ACL. And I started skiing super hard and was just going crazy. I was snapping and, and I was filming with my homie Husak and uh, we were filming like a little video for, I think at that point we were like filming this video, like for the ski. And it was the only pair of the meek skis that were made. And I ended up like going, stacking like two or three clips with Husak for, for like the release of the ski. And then every day that I would ski, or like most days I would ski hood, I would go like have lunch in the rocks, and like drink a cold one. And you, and so I did that. And um, I came back and I was just like gassed up. I like wanted to go huge. Put in like an up rail to knuckle. And I was doing these hand drags to switch oh, all day. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I just want to like last one. Like I want to like bust a hand drag. I, I did like, 10 hand drags to switch that day and I was like I want to like do one and go huge and I came mobbing into that and they'd actually salted the in run right before that which I didn't know like usually they salt at like noon and they salted at like whatever 130 that day and it's not on them it's on me and I just mobbed in and then like right before the in run I just picked up a ton of speed and I, I hit that up rail and man, I, I dropped probably 40 feet out of the sky to flat. Like I went huge 
too, too huge. I, like the first day that I got the ski, dropped like 40 feet to flat. I blew my other knee. And I like, it was crazy because I like stood up and I started walking and I knew, I heard my knee blow. I heard, my, I heard myself blow my knee and I was like, this is fucked. And then like, I started, I, I stood up and started walking and like, I thought my left knee, which is the OG knee that I blew, I thought I blew that again. And I like, I just had so much adrenaline and stuff that I like took a step on it and I was like, oh my God, my knee's fine. I'm okay. And then I took a, another step and then realized that I blew my right knee. And then in terms of the ski, like because of that, I was just like, I, I didn't want to release the ski when I was hurt. You know, I wanted to release the ski on a positive note. So then I rehabbed my other ACL for another year. And then we released the ski in 2021, maybe, or like, I don't know, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of a like a insane story of how I got the ski in terms of like the timeline because it was like supposed to be happening for so long, but it didn't like we didn't re- we we had the ski for like two years or three years and then we didn't release the ski for another year and a half or two years and like whatever. Honestly, to me, that ski is more of a testament to the work I put in the rehab because we released that ski once I was good. And I just have to give a huge shout out to Scott and Sean at LN3P for like releasing that ski and making that ski because it is the singular highlight of my ski career is having that ski. It's fucking amazing, dude. Something I take a lot of pride in. I'm really, I feel just really blessed to like, have them put a, a ski with my name on it. And then when I see people skiing that ski trips me out, man, it's the craziest thing because yeah, I know I'm a good skier, but I don't think I'm good enough to like where there would be kids that would buy a ski with my name on it. Yeah. That's but so- anybody who has that ski and anybody who gets that next Meeks pro model, there's one rule about that ski. You know what that rule is? What is it? You're not allowed to do front swaps on it. <laughs> why is why is that the rule? Because we don't do front swaps, dog. We only do back swaps, or we do blind side spins, bro. Oh yeah. And 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 I mean, maybe some front side spins like out of the rail, but ain't no front swaps going down on that ski. They shouldn't be at least. And if you're doing front swaps on that ski, I salute you. But you should probably slow down on the front swaps and only do blind swaps. Respect. So, hey, the follow up is the is the next one. You had the you had the can crusher. Are you gonna have a wine ski next? That's what uh, Ryan's wondering. Dude, I don't think so, bro. Honestly, I I would I think I'll have another pro model with Hunter P, and I'd like to. Mm. I think that might be like the last thing I'd like to promote in my ski career, but. I don't think I want it to be a wine ski, Ben. Like honestly, I I think I'd I think I want to like keep the wine stuff and like a little bit separate. You know, it's a different person. It's different meeks. Yeah, I respect that. Um, so I don't really know what the next I don't really know what the next pro model looks like, but it's not going to be a can ski because I'm not really drinking that many Modellas anymore. I'm only on Bud Lights now, and. 
I think I want the, I don't know. I have like a couple of visions for the ski, but for now I'm really just interested in like, like paying homage to crypto and, and Oscar in terms of like, like rocking their pro models. So that's tight. That's tight. That. And I okay. want to help, them, help their ski sell. And then at some point I'd like to like get another pro model and, ride another meek ski and help design another ski but for now i just would like to ride my friends skis yeah respect um so before we talk about the wine because i'm excited to talk about the wine um what you said that you know you want to take the filming a little more seriously and kind of respect the ski respect the skiing by having proper filming and editing with it um so what do you think about all the ON3P videos that came out. Cause like I said, those are some of my favorite of all time. And did you feel like that it was doing the respect that the, the videos did respect for, for the level of skiing? Like sure. I'm talking, yeah, like one, two, three, all those videos. I think they're all different bro. I think one oh, yeah. Gustav is incredible. I haven't seen him in so damn long, but um, what I think, I think they all really, Two, I'm not crazy about two, but two is. You've you've seen them all, right? Yeah, yeah. I think two is like, two is cool, and like honestly, if I produced that video, I'd be stoked on it. But we didn't really have like a lot of team time together. But one Magnus, one Real Street, and then came and stayed at me and Wabby's house in Salt Lake for like five or six weeks. Magnus and Gustav, and you know he's keeping his uh, X Games gold medal in our in a sock in our living room, and like you know the first night they got to town, he got in like three in the morning, and I like woke up at like seven or eight the next day, and the real street like results weren't released, and I was like, "How'd you do, bro?" And I just remember he whispered to me, "Bro, I won, I won," and I was like, "Tripping, bro." At that point, he put me on on 3 p the year before, and he's just like somebody who I, man, I just admire Magnus so much, bro. He's he's one he's one of the most incredible people on earth. Like I, I just could not think more highly of him. And so he told me he won, and then we watched his real ski, and I was like, "Do you remember the year that he won real ski, bro?" Yeah, that was like one of the early years of real ski. Yeah, yeah, but his video was like. To this day, probably like the illest video that could come out. It was so fucking sick. Yeah. And so he told me that he won. And then it just inspired me so hard to go. Like, I just wanted to go hard. And like, I felt like because of how he did. And and uh, we filmed most of O3P1 around Salt Lake. The exception of I actually had a couple of clips in Finland. And my homie Antu, this homie who, damn, I wish he was still on Anthropy, but this homie from Finland came over here and he filmed with us. And these guys stayed at my me and Wabs' house. And it was just a really good time. It was like just a really simple time in life. And but like at that point, I wasn't like really struggling financially. And I was having, I was skiing every day and just like having, having a blast. It was like, I was probably like, I wouldn't say it was the best skiing I've done in my ski career, but it was probably like one of the, like the best times of my life. That month and a half, 
And then O13P2 was the next year, and I feel like we kind of tried to force that because O13P1 was so good. Actually, let me backtrack real quick. I wanted to get on O13P because of the movie Leaving. Do you know that? Leave It. I don't believe I've heard of that one. E-I-N. It's a video. It's not a full movie, but it's like Carl and Magnus and BMAC skiing in Salt Lake and in Sun Valley. And it, it was super fucking sick. And then I was like, dude, I want to get on a company that like makes videos like this. You know what I'm saying? And so I got on. We made on 3 p one It popped off. I thought it was a really good video, especially at the time. And I think it was really well-received. Then the next year, we were like, let's, like, ON3P signed a bunch of other skiers, like, in that off-season. And the next year, we made ON3P2. And to me, ON3P2, it's a banger because Jay Nilla was involved behind the, like, on the editing. Do you know who Jay Nilla is? I don't believe so. Bro, I'm going to send you a seg once we're off the phone, bro. Yeah. Like, homie Jens Nilsson, he's like one of the original bunch heads, and he's A, the most talented cin- cinematographer in the game, and B, he was the dude, the best skier, the best skier in the world, in my opinion. Like, hands down. He's the fucking goat, dog. And so he was like chopping that video. He made it. He edited it. But like we didn't really spend a lot of time as like a squad for ON3P2, like filming all together. We filmed some clips on iPhones. It was just a bunch of different cameras. It was kind of whatever. But we we released it and it was well received, I think. And I think it was well received. And then it was kind of whatever. But then ON3P3, Magnus kind of was like, yeah, we got to get this whole squad out to hood. And um, I mean, that movie speaks for itself. I think it's like most people's favorite video of all time, right? Dude, I, I think, honest to God, I'm not even saying this just because you're on the on the show right now. I think this might be my favorite video of all time. The skiing, yeah. the editing, it's just, it might be the best. It might be one of the best of all time. It's a bot, man. And that was like, that was my last summer on hood where I would be like, that was an amazing summer. I mean, it was my second to last summer on Hood. I think it was my 10th summer on Hood. And it was one where I was like, dude, this summer is so fucking fun, bro. Every day we were just living for the moment. And, like, just everybody was skiing so damn good. And, like, we are skiing in the park. We were skiing in the pot Or, like, whatever. Like, Hood Pow, Hood Street. Like, it was just awesome. And we had, like, the most stacked squad of all 3P riders at that point. You know, we crypto had just gotten put on. And, um, of course, Lucas was on at that point, LSM, and Matt. It was just insane, bro. That summer, I mean, I have stories from that summer that are so goddamn crazy, bro. They were like, that was the most fun summer ever, bro. Actually, I think that was my last real summer on Hood. It was my last summer, like, working up there and, like, doing doing the whole thing and like being like super committed to like getting up there super early and man shout out to jack borland and the jenny and he's a head dig he was the head digger up at wendell's that summer and we just we had a blast and we filmed a lot of really good parts or a lot of really good shots and we built an amazing setup that summer and 
man, we tore it up every single night. <laughs> Fucking awesome, bro. That's awesome. And I, I, I met like, honestly, like I met my girl, like not the girl who I'm still dating, but I met like my girlfriend of like three or four years up there that summer. And like, it was just, that was like, that was the time in life, bro. We were having so much damn fun, bro. And the energy was crazy, bro. Magnus, the energy that Magnus brings with him everywhere he goes is untouchable, dude. He is the most, he's a god, in my opinion. It's like, he just, he, he brought crazy energy to Hood that summer. And like, we all just snapped on our skis and we just followed the ski man's lead, bro. He's my hero, though, bro. The ski man is my hero. That's so tight. That's, yeah, that's, that's a great story, dude. So, yeah, that's something that we went crazy. And, dude, everybody always says, like, yo, you're on three, three shots or like my favorite shots you ever had. Four shots in that whole video. Dude, they're, they're just, the, they're that good. They're literally that good. <laughs> I think so. I hope so. But <laughs> I don't, it's not really like, backed a lot of clips in that video i just think it's like i think it's just you know it's like we we went off that summer we we skied really good the whole gang and i wasn't skiing good every day but the days that i was skiing man i was snapping i was going it's that one shot in particular the fish eye on the flat down the backslide like cork three yeah holy fuck dude that like Oh, that shit was crazy, bro. It was the first day of like that obsession one, I think. And I just wanted to shut the park down. I just wanted to get the ender of the video on day one. And I just like pulled through and fresh out of the rocks. And uh, it's like, that was one and done. Only try. I just was like, yeah, I'm going to just do one foot back to and I'm going to go fucking huge and I'm going to reach my leg up to my head. (laughs) <laughs> and like yeah just like one one and done first tried that shit and um, it was a good time bro and i just remember seeing all the homies coming siver crypto magnus were all on the rope toe coming up the hill and i was just like yeah i'm gonna go and i just i like distinctly remember like pressing my leg into that rail and being like dude if i jump off this right now I'm going to pretty much go jump all the way down to government camp. (laughs) I I was like, I got to go huge. And then I jumped off of that thing and, and, uh, and yeah, pretty much sent that thing halfway down to Govey and just, and and I just remember looking in the outrun, just in the t-shirt being so gassed up overcast day. OSAP. Berg, like, who's now one of the illest filmers in the game, is right when he got started. And Christian, like, Goofy Goose, they were just like so shook. <laughs> like, and like, I just remember seeing the look on Goofy Goose's face and then seeing the look on Ski Man and Siver's face riding up the lift and, and then just like Siver absolutely losing his mind. And I was like, that was probably the sickest thing I'll ever do in my life. <laughs> 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 it was so damn fun though bro i want to do i honestly like don't really rock with that trick anymore i think it's like kind of a lame trick but i was like yeah i kind of want to like do one like that again like so huge like that 
That's so sick, dude. <laughs> that's a great that's a great story, bro. Who hasn't seen that video in a while? That's probably like the one video I'd say is like where it's going back and rewatching oh. because it, it just captures like a lot of friends in a in a good time in life and like we were just everybody was just good homies and still are but of course but like that was like when everybody was like really tight we were just riding for a singular cause we we're partying in portland partying in covey and skiing really hard every day and it's it, it holds a lot of really awesome sentimental value yeah well look at that we got one we got your great moment getting your pro ski we got one of the best movies ever made if not the best ever made Let's talk about the new venture that I'm sure you're proud of making your own wine. Trying to think of like how to tell this story. Um, so the, hold on one second. Let me get a phone charger. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I was, um, of course, obviously I like worked in wine forever. Right. Yeah. And then the, so I always worked in production in winemaking. You know, and then the first year that I blew my knee, I worked for this winery in Hood River, Oregon. I was like planning on going to Hood River for the summer to ski. And then I like blew my knee up there. This is like in June. And so I was like, damn, all right, I can't work harvest like in production because I was hurt. And at that point, I, I got really hurt the first year that I blew my knee. Like I was on crutches for like 12 weeks or something. And, um, I went and worked in wine sales for this guy in Hood River. And I was like, damn, you know, like, I know a lot. I know more about wine than I thought I did. Kind of like just selling the wine for these people or like to these people. And like, I thought I was like, it's like, okay, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty good at wine sales, honestly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, um. So went and worked in wine sales there that summer and fall and like, and sold a shit ton of wine and was just having fun with it. And then didn't think too much of it. And then I came back to park city and I worked at this place, old town cellars, which is a wine bar in park city. They also make their own wine. And I just, um, you know, started selling wine for them and started doing pretty well in that regard. And was like, damn, yo, I can sell some wine. And then the next year I was like, okay, yeah, I'm never going to sell wine again. Like, I'm just like going to keep skiing and working in wine production and blah, blah, blah. And then the next year I blew my knee, like I was saying again, um, which for anybody who's done it, it's horrible. And I... I got super, super depressed. I was like in a really, really bad spot. Like thought that I was like never going to really be able to ski again. Didn't really know if I wanted to ski again. And um, came back and worked for Old Town Cellar. I worked production that year. I just drove a forklift all harvest at the winery I was working for. And came back and had another winter working at Old Town Cellars, like rehabbing my knee. And honestly, it wasn't a very good winter, but also in that regard, like I, um, 
like Stephen and Jason, the two guys who own Old Town Sellers, the place where I was working for, they gave me like a really amazing opportunity to like get in on some wine, like buy in kind of to the like wine they were going to push for their brand. And I bought into that, started seeing some success with that. and was just like, at that point, was just like still, I didn't go to Hood that next summer, that summer, but I was just like, I was just in, I guess, just like in a rough spot kind of. And like because of my knee and because I didn't really know if I was going to keep skiing. And then that next summer, I like went back to, or that summer I went back to Napa and was like, yeah, I got to like, you know, I love wine <laughs> at this point. I just like, at that point I was like drinking a lot more wine and like really just like starting to like understand why it's such an amazing thing. And, um, I was like, you know what? I think like these guys gave me this opportunity to like kind of pop some shit off and like I should probably like cuz I always kind of knew I wanted to start my own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then I also was like I, I also was like when's the right time kind of and like I always thought the right time was going to be when I was like in my 40s and then cuz it's so damn expensive. You know, it kind of takes away a lot of your money for like that. I would say for winter to like start your own wine shit. And so, but anyway, that summer I was just like, you know, I, I mean, if, I, if it's going to go long story, I was like working with this home, my home girl, Elise Nerlove at um, this place, Fela in like 2017, great winery, incredible wines. And I ended, I ended up living up on her property, the property that her dad owns. He's like in his seventies and he's like, you know, one of the best dudes I know. And, um, I ended up living up there that summer, like the year I started model citizen and she, Elise really like, like my homegirl, she really, there's a style of wine called the pet nat. That's like the oldest way of making sparkling wine in the world. And she was kind of like, yeah, I'll coach you through like making a pet nap. So I never made pet nats. And she was making pet nats for her parents' label at that point. And um, I loved her wines. I still do, of course. And so she was like, yeah, I'll like teach you how to make the wine if you like want to get involved. And I was like, all right, seems easy. Make some, make some sparkling wine. And then I dropped in, bought a bunch of grapes got into like a custom crush so essentially like i don't own a winery of course and like the, the equipment that it costs like to make wine would cost like millions of dollars but like i'm one of like 30 or 40 producers in this winery that's like paying to use the equipment and so she kind of coached me through how to make a pet net like the first wine that i made that i'm about to release this is in 2021 and um her dad and their love he owns this wine or this this vineyard called elkhorn peak he's like an one of the og farmers in napa valley he bought this property in the 70s and he's just absolutely legend one of the fucking best dudes on the face of the planet if not the best he's he's like my west coast like dad grandpa whatever like he's he's family to me like, these guys are incredible and he opened up his books to me and kind of showed me how it could work on a financial sense to like make it work and the margins I would need to make. And, you know, he really taught me a lot on the business side of things. And 
So I made this wine for that, or I made this wine in 2021 that I'm actually just releasing now um, at this place, Napa Wine Company. And just, it, it was more just like something where I was like, this is something I know I need to do, but it's not something that I think that I should do right now in terms of timing, because like I really wanted to be locked in in terms of like just so much stuff. Like I wanted to be like financially in a better situation and stuff, but I just, I like got into it because I, I just knew I needed like something in my life to like, that wasn't skiing that I could like put a lot of energy and effort into because I put so much energy into skiing and, and, um, and I need something to put a lot of energy into <laughs> and a lot of effort into like just for my personal self, you know? And I started that because, and, because I've, I've worked under these incredible winemakers, John Walden, Adrian Halpin, like the best winemakers in Napa Valley for so many years. And like these guys taught me so much, man. They're like, the Ill these are some of my best friends, but also like some of like the most accomplished people in Napa, in the, at least in their 30s, the most accomplished people in Napa and just really intelligent, amazing people. And, 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 incredible friends dude people who i like i love those dudes so much bro and i admire them so much and they they gave me a lot of like kind of there were just people who i could really drop back on and like get game from if i needed you know and like when when i was worried about the wine they would kind of like coach me through any questions i ever had and i was like you know what now is the time like i'm really glad i did it at this point because I think that if I were to do it later in life, who knows what's going to happen when you're in your forties. And there's a lot of things, people push things off for a lot of long time and just don't really accomplish what they want to accomplish. And a lot of like my whole philosophy on life is just, just getting after it, you know, well, you can just get after it and just like make the moves that you want to make. And, and I think it was something that I thought about for a long time and it was something that I was scared to do. And then, once I started doing it, there was no turning back and I just sunk all my money into it. And now the wines are about to be released and everybody who's tasted the wines, I mean, they could be blowing smoke up my ass, but they love the wines. And I think they're incredible wines. Yeah. So where can people, uh, where can people get those when they released? So by the, uh, model citizen wines.com. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll ship them to your doorstep if you're 21. Um, and then modelcitizenwines.com to partner up with some distributors like in the Northwest and the West Coast. But for the most part, like I would prefer to sell like the majority of the wines to Web's website and Abner and I, you know, Abner, Webs, Whippy Webs. Yeah. So Webs has moved out to Napa like full time. He's Yeah, he lives in Napa now. And Abner, I actually got Abner into wine in like 2015, or I shouldn't say I got him into wine. He got himself into wine, but like, I just like kind of liaisoned, like giving him an interview with like my homie Adrian. And I got Abner into wine and he, he's like, dude, he's the smartest person in the wine game. That's not named Adrian or John, bro. He's incredible. Like he's so fucking good at what he does bro 
And so Abner and I are now like kind of in the process of starting a second label that's going to be like higher end stuff, like model citizen stuff is always going to be between 25 and $45 a bottle, lower price point wines that people who are like our peers that are like into, you know, people who like wine, they can afford these wines. And these are like approachable, nice price point wines. But then Abner and I are like, we're, we're studying some new stuff where hopefully, and I think for sure going forward, like Abner is going to be making the wines for our new label. I'm just going to be kind of like popping back and giving him a platform to shine because he's going to be the best winemaker in the world, bro. He's incredible at what he does. And he's probably, gonna, if he hears this, he's going to be probably upset that I even said that. But to me, he's just, he knows he's learning under to me, like he's learning under the best person that I know in wine or, or one of the best people in wine that I know. And he's equally as smart as that person. And like, he's just so intuitive when it comes to wine and he knows so much about the grapes and the barrels. And like, we're just on the same program, bro. And like he and I, I hope, I think we're going to make a label that it's going to hopefully just set us up for a lot of success in a lot of ways. And, and I know that the wines that I've tasted that he made this fall are among some of the best that I've have ever had. And I just can't wait to see where it all goes from here because it's going to be incredible. But modelcitizenwines.com. And then once we get our new shit going, like the wines that Wabs made this past fall, like most of those wines are barrel aging for two years. And, uh, I just have to give a huge thanks to my best friend for like having the balls, I guess, or like the nerves to like drop in so much of his own money into like believing into what we've done, because I think it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And when you actually start investing thousands of dollars into something and you're creating a product, it's really scary. And he never once has blinked his eye at anything. And he's just, he's going to be the best in the world. So just watch, watch out for it in my mind. And he's probably going to get upset that I'm airing him out like that. But to me, he's, there's nobody better. He's the smartest dude ever, bro. He's incredible. Tell him about that, that round Labby B. Yeah, I started playing golf a long time ago, bro. And like, um, Wabs just picked up golf and he's just a natural athlete and he like fucking beat me in golf like a couple times. Loves to talk shit about it, but honestly, on a day to day basis, I'd still smoke his ass. I still do smoke his ass and I'll smoke anybody's ass in Napa Valley. So if you want to come get the smoke, come holler at me. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. Are there any, uh, any more fan questions that need to be answered? Yeah, we got a couple ones actually. We could uh, we'll do some quick hitters. All right. So uh, Ryan, what's your favorite city to yeah. film street in? Minneapolis, St. Paul. Easy. Bang. It's incredible. Uh, let's see. Who's the steezy skiing? Who's the best street skier of all time? Well, of course, Beat Dog and Magnus probably. Um, I'm gonna go more off the beaten path. And just like refer to a couple of skiers who I think have dropped parts that are incredible and don't 
they're not the, the maybe these guys aren't the best skiers of all time, but to me they're like some of the best parts of all time. So John Ware all damn day, um, Jay Nilla full boast. Um, really, I I love all the Max Hill skiing and um, shit, man. Any of the Brady Perone skiing, Mango, fucking. The, dude, honestly, the people I'm skiing with now, Crypto, Koski, mm-hmm. Ranch, like the, the new movie that we're making right now, it's like these dudes are like the best in the game. So there's just so many people. <laughs> Henrik, of course. Uh, like I loved all the people that were skiing in Henrik's video. Okay. But one more who I will mention as the best street skier of all time or one of the top 10 is wealth the homie who i started the interview with um to me he's like that part is one of the best parts ever and then the kid of course it's like to me the kids all the kids skiing is untouchable he's he's amazing and a4 a4 too a 40 water is like one of my favorite skiers and all these guys man there's just so many um, incredible street skiers yeah a lot of love I would um, never even consider myself in the top 50. Ah, you're... <laughs> get the fuck out of here, bro. Top 50? That's crazy. Patty, Seamus, the Flanagan Bredas, yeah. Harold, Manio, BMAC from the Bunch, Payben. You kidding me? All the old 4 9 heads, all the old stepped heads, Clayton, Cam, Charlie Owens is like one of my favorite skiers of all time. Dude, I just have like a bazillion like favorite skiers of all time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, maybe we can narrow this one down a little more. Moffitt, favorite after-ski drink? Right now? Yeah, right now. Bud Light. Bud Light, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Light's the only thing I'm drinking right now. I just love Bud Lights. Here's, here's a can-crushing question. Jackson, what's the most number of cans you crushed before lacing a spot, and what was the spot? Probably that it's not really a spot, but probably that one foot back too. Oh yeah. Probably say like fifteen. <laughs> Holy shit, bro. You're a menace. The menace of Mount Hood, dude. I like it. Yeah, I'm being honest. Uh in terms of a street spot, I don't really drink I never drink beers at the street spot. Yeah. They're not. I'm not often, at least. Not if I'm skiing. I'm, like, trying to be a little more locked in than that. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to it's, – it's tough to see how we wrap it up. I'll, I'll give you two more. Ryan okay. Voyan. Ryan Voyan, what's the most hype you've ever been on a shot? Like on a personal shot? Yeah. Mm, honestly – I think in hindsight, that front four that I did that you posted for the story. Yeah. But I didn't ever really like now I'm kind of on a tip where I don't really watch my shots mm-hmm. like when I get them. So I didn't really know how much I liked that shot. But in hindsight, probably um probably that lip slide disaster that I did into that 
down bar in on three P four. That was like the last clip I got in on three P four. It was really fucking scary. I went to my car and I cried after by myself because I was so scared. I called Wab- I FaceTimed Wabby and I started crying because I was so fucking scared of that spot. <laughs> That's some real <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's so some guess, real shit. I guess like probably that one because I've never been so scared to do anything and I got I got really like taught like I didn't like get broke off on that spot, but I got like played. You know, I was just getting hurt. And we'll just leave we'll leave it off with the last one. Grant Harris, what is your plans for the future? What can we see next? Well, this year I'm filming a video with Oscar uh, Weary, Andrew Branch, um, who maybe you don't know of yet, but you will know of him. He's the best here at Mammoth. B-Dog always pays respects to him. And, uh, And crypto, of course. And so in terms of what we're filming this year, shit some banger street shit and uh going for probably one or two more parts if i had to guess i'd like to keep skiing um street and really just like like to ski keep skiing hard like street until i'm 35 and i'm 30 now so i'd like to film one or two more two-year parts something probably so Probably one or two more parts after uh, this year, of course, film a part. And then after that, one or two more parts. And then after that, man, some amazing wines. And uh, you can still always catch me on the gram, probably skiing pow until I'm like 60 or 70, bro. We'd be out here getting it and uh, out here skiing for a long, long time to come. I love this shit. But at the end of the day, my body is like, hurting pretty bad and i just would like to really ideally stretch out like how long i can like ski some street and and go really hard and keep filming but then also um like start to make some better money and and live like a good life but yeah, I mean, you can always catch me skiing 100 days a year from now until probably, if I had to guess, it's 2023 right now, probably 2053. You can expect some good clips. That's far. Like, just in terms of, like, pow and just skiing, you know, very dedicated to it. That's something I, like, take really seriously, and I love it a lot. And I'm trying to get my pilot's license and probably move to Napa, but like still ski a hundred plus days a year and fly to Mammoth and ski Mammoth on the on the daily. So I think that's really the game plan. That's tight. And again, yeah. where can they where can they buy the wine? What's the website? Model Citizen dot com. Let's go. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate um before I get out of here, I just wanna like give a shout out to a couple people first of all um shout out to scott and sean and on 3p for supporting like everything that i've put on their plate and and i'm not probably the always the easiest person to work with and then shout out um to abner for being the best friend a guy could have and for stepping into this wine thing with me and then shout out to all of our mentors especially adrian halpin John Walden and Leo Tala as the Purple Tongue Wine Club. 
um, for like kind of coaching us through how to make this whole thing happen. And Steven and Jason at Old Town Cellars and um, anybody who's really supported me on my like on my skis over the years, but especially Scott and Sean and um, yeah, I just, I, I can't wait to keep it all going. <laughs> it's just getting good. Hell yeah. Well, Meeks, thank you for being here, dude. I appreciate it. This was thank a you great too. talk. I appreciate the, uh, the platform and the opportunity to like, you know, tell my story and just, you know, like spread some, Spread some, uh, spread some good vibes or whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Here's my homie, Dirty Mike, and uh, yeah, here I'll I'll give him one more one more shout out. He's, he's asking, dude. You know I don't do K-Fed, but I'll I'll give one more shout out right now. Is a uh, shout out to the Zoot Space Squad, and uh, you know everybody who fucking really putting it out there on the line, especially my boy Welsh. You know, I already spoke on Welsh throughout the whole conversation. And yeah, big up, big up. Peace.